great thought from our Lord Jesus Christ, and we want to continue to, to think about what we do today matters for eternity. So we'll, we'll continue on with that. Uh, Jason, I'm, I'm hearing a little bit more echo than what I need. And so uh, I forgot that, by the way, Chin was going to make that announcement about the book. It's a little bit embarrassing to sit here and hear that. But, but by the way, uh, I know what he said, say words of appreciation, but if you have a complaint, go ahead and file that too. I mean, this is going to be one of your last opportunities. So get it down, get it in writing, but put it down there. So thanks for that. Uh, I do want to make you aware of these uh, flowers. These were here put in honor of one of our very fine uh, elders that we had the service for yesterday, the funeral services for Gordon Jennett. And some of you know that it was two years ago today that another elder of ours, Joseph Tan, died and went to be with the Lord. And so we, um, we look forward to heaven, and we have some wonderful friends there and very faithful servants of the Lord who are already preceding us. And we grieve, but not like those who have no hope, because Christ Jesus has been raised from the dead. And so we will not ever forget the resurrection. I'm going to ask you to pray with me and just bring before the Lord any burden, any concern that you have on your heart right now, and then I'm going to lead you in prayer. Father, I just want to praise you that you are the living God, and you give us life. And we have already celebrated that you give us salvation and hope in the gospel. And we say that great verse of our faith, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is a gift of God. And so, Lord, we thank you for this amazing gift, for the privilege that we have of worshiping you, that you are indeed exalted and worthy of praise, and that Jesus Christ is Lord and at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Father, we also want to thank you for faithful servants in this church. And today, once again, I thank you for Gordon, and I thank you for Joseph, and I thank you for those who are faithfully serving even now. And I pray that we would be inspired by their example and that we will persevere that we will not give up, and that we will recognize that you are the rewarder of those who seek you. Father, we also want to intercede on behalf of our, our church, and we pray your blessing upon what you have for us for the future. And Father, we want to pray on behalf of our world, for our world leaders. And once again, Lord, we're going to petition for peace. We petition for peace in Ukraine, we ask for grace. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So we're in the life of Elisha, and we're talking about taking God seriously. And, and I think you'll see that these themes kind of fit together nicely. And, and today, it, it may be a little bit more challenging, but we're going to talk about taking God seriously in the mundane, in the ordinary things of life. Let me begin with a, a great movie, and if you haven't seen it, there's this spoiler alert, I'm going to tell you a bit about it, but this is from Saving Private Ryan. And um, the storyline goes that uh, Private Ryan has brothers, and they've all been killed in combat, and so the, the higher powers have determined this man has to be saved from combat duty 
because he will be the only living son that this family has. And so they send a, a platoon, an organized group, to find Private Ryan and to bring him back to safety. Well, Tom Hanks is the captain. He leads that uh, group as uh, Captain John Miller. And here's the final scene on the bridge. And on the bridge, Hanks is about to die. Now, there's already been three other men that have died in the same mission. And Private Ryan recognizes that these men are giving their lives for his salvation, to save him. And Hanks whispers right before he dies, earn it, earn it. The end of the movie, we come back, and again, there's a transformation from Matt Damon, as young Matt Damon, to an older man. And this older man is Private Ryan. And now he's at the the cemetery at the, the gravestone of, of uh, Captain Miller. He salutes, and then he kneels down, and he begins talking to Captain Miller with his family back there. And he says this, I think about what you told me on the bridge every day. Every day he wakes up and he thinks about what he has been told, that he has been saved, and he, that needs to impact how he lives every day. Well, clearly he's living a normal life. He's an ordinary guy in civilian dress. He's got a wife and family back there. And the question I would ask is this. Is there anything that impacts our lives every day? I want to be very clear, this is just an illustration, so it's not the gospel. When we think about the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are indeed saved, and the sacrifice is our Lord Jesus Christ, and he never tells us to earn it because we can't. It is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. We never earn our salvation, and yet we are told to live a life worthy of our calling. We are told to love him. In fact, we are said we love him because he first loved us. In other words, there is something that should impact your ordinary life, your normal life, not just wartime, but your normal, ordinary life, day to day. When you get up in the morning, do you think about it? Do you remember it? Are you challenged by it? Do we take God seriously in the mundane? Of course, when there's major issues going on in our lives, yeah, we're going to come to God. But what about in the mundane, in the ordinary? Do we take him seriously? And does God even care about the ordinary? Is he just there for the big deals? So let's take a look at that. Look with me at 2 Kings chapter 4. And we're going to begin reading in verse 38. And here in the life of Elisha, we're going to see two ordinary events, but God is going to speak into those events through Elisha. 2 Kings chapter 4, beginning verse 38. I'm going to ask you to stand as I read from God's word, if you're able. Simply hear the word of God, and we'll see God in the ordinary. Elisha returned to Gilgal, and there was a famine in that region, while the company of the prophets was meeting with him, he said to his servant, put on the large pot and, the, and cook some stew for these prophets. One of them went out into the fields to gather herbs and 
found a wild vine and picked as many of its gourds as he, his garment could hold. When he returned, he cut them up into the pot of stew, though no one knew what they were. The stew was poured out for the men, but as they began to eat it, they cried out, Man of God, there is death in the pot. And they could not eat it. Elisha said, Get some flour. He put it into the pot and said, Serve it to the people to eat. And there was nothing harmful in the pot. A man came from Baal Shalashar, bringing the man of God 20 loaves of barley bread baked from the first ripe grain, along with some heads of new grain. Give it to the people to eat, Elisha said. How can I set this before a hundred men, the servant said. Elisha answered, give it to the people to eat, for this is what the Lord says. They will eat and they will have some left over. And then he set it before them, and they ate and had some left over according to the word of the Lord. So two meals, the ordinary, but God is there. You may be seated. So a couple of points I'd like to bring out, and we'll use this passage and some other passages. But the first one is this. Our everyday tasks are not meaningless in God's service. So I want you to think about life in ancient Israel, and it's different than how we live because it was basically subsistence living. And food is very important. Most of their waking hours were given to food, either finding food, preparing food, growing food, you know, searching, gathering food, and then the cooking of food. There was no you know, quick... Uh, easy food, there's no fast food, there's no grocery stores, and so that's a big part of their lives. But then the text tells us, and there was a famine in that region. Now, again, for us, we need to recognize that some of these clues in the Old Testament, that it shows the temperature, the spiritual temperature in the land as well. I want you to go back to Leviticus chapter 26. Because often a famine meant there was a curse from God in the land. So in Leviticus 26, Moses speaks to the people of Israel through, with the words of God. And God says, I will walk among you and be your God, and you will be my people. But then if you do not follow me, verse 18, if after all this you will not listen to me, I will punish you for your sins seven times over. I will break down your stubborn pride and make the sky above you like iron and the ground beneath you like bronze. Your strength will be spent in vain because your soil will not yield its crops, nor will the trees of your land yield their fruit. In other words, God is basically saying, when you will not follow me, when you will not listen to me, when you reject me, here's what you're going to see in the land. Famine. One of the clues we need to look at when we see this passage, we just need to stop and say, oh, there's famine. What's going on there? Let me point out, sometimes when we face challenging circumstances, difficult times, we need to just pause. And here's what we can ask God. Am I listening to you? Is there something I need to hear from you? We can ask, is this discipline? God disciplines those that he loves. Is there discipline here? Is it to teach me, to instruct me? 
And then the third question we can simply ask is, is there an issue of pride in my life? That's what they needed to ask. But here is the prophet, Elisha, providing for the prophets, and they cook some stew. Now, again, we need to recognize there's not a whole lot of selection to go by. There's not restaurants open that day. They don't have anything to choose from in the refrigerator. And one of the prophets goes out, and verse 39 gives the detail. One of them went out into the fields to gather herbs and found a wild vine and picked as many of its gourds as his garments could hold. And when he returned, he cut them up into the pot of stew, though no one knew what they were. Now, you may, if you're a cook, you may want to just give that last part a second thought. No one knew what these things were. But they just throw them in there anyway because they, they look good. Now, it's interesting. Uh, commentators will point out there is a gourd that looks kind of like a shape of an orange. And it, it does grow in Israel. And if you eat it, it is a strong laxative. And if you eat enough of it, it'll kill you. So let me give you a picture. This is a flowers and fruit from uh, Israel. So this is perhaps what it's like because this is uh, identified as that gourd that uh, was there in Elisha's day. So they, he cuts it up, puts as much as he can in his garment, carries it in, and dumps it into the stew. So we get the picture. So the stew is ruined, but what was also ruined? His, his labor. I mean, he was better off just staying in bed that day, right? I mean, he goes out and he thinks he's doing something good for the prophets of God. He thinks he's really going to be serving them. In fact, what he's doing is poisoning them. And that's what's going on here. And here's what happens. Elisha, we see a miracle. We're going to see the flower, and the flower is going to be simply a symbol, again, that he's going to throw it in. There's something visible for them to connect to, and they'll be able to come back, and they say to one another, remember the day Elisha threw that flower in that pot, and it, it, it made it all clean and good and healthy? And so that's what's going on there. I think it's just that simple symbol. But then it says, then there was nothing harmful for them. That's great news for them. Now, I want you to think about our labor and how we serve the Lord. And I want you to go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. So many of you know 1 Corinthians 15 is the great resurrection chapter. There's several chapters you need to know. And so, obviously, Hebrews 11 is the great chapter on what? Faith. 1 Corinthians 15 is the great chapter on resurrection. But this is how it ends. Verse 58, therefore, here's my conclusion as we think about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. There's a, a, a saying, it goes like this, the rat race is over, and when we talk about the ordinary, sometimes day in and day out grind of life, we call it the rat race. Somebody says, the rat race is over, the rats won. That's how some people perceive it. And what we would say is different, right? The rat race is over, Jesus won. He is victorious over sin and death, and that changes 
everything, even our labor in the Lord. And sometimes we can labor in the Lord and it looks like, well, what difference am I making? And we labor again and again and again, day in and day out, ordinary days, not extraordinary, just regular service. What difference does it make? And what he says in 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul says, here's what you know, because Christ is victorious over sin and death, your labor in the Lord is never in vain. Well, this puts a whole new slant to, to uh, Subi serves, right? When we think about serving in the church and serving in the community, our labor in the Lord is never in vain. It puts a new slant when we talk about serving in children's ministry or the upcoming kids club or Awana or youth or young adult or small group leadership. All of these things we recognize, wow, this is never in vain. Now, you may not get a, a whole lot of appreciation, and most of the time people are not going to give you a book of appreciation, right? But our labor is not in vain. Why? Because Christ is one, and he redeems our ordinary service, our labor. Just like this pot of stew, regular meal, ordinary day, until something goes wrong. But here's what Elisha is going to do. He's going to redeem that pot of stew. He's going to make it useful once again. And my point is this. As we think about our everyday tasks, they're not meaningless in the service of the Lord. Here's the second thought. Our everyday gifts are not meaningless in God's economy. So I want you to think about God's economy now. And we have another story. And so the stories of a man who brings his first fruit of barley loaves, and he breaks them from the, it says, the first ripe grain. And he brings this to the prophet, to Elisha. Elisha wants to feed the people. But the servant says, now, how can, how can I feed the people this little bit? This is not going to be enough. But Elisha says, no, go ahead and feed the people with this. There will be enough. That's the word of God. What's interesting to me is this. First, we have to admire this man. It's a time of famine, right? There's still famine in the land, and here's a guy who says, of my first fruits, I'm going to give to the Lord. I'm going to give to honor the Lord. What's interesting to me is sometimes we give ourselves a pass, a buy, when we're having difficulty in the economy, we can say, well, you know, the Lord will understand, but here's a guy that you have to admire. He wants to give to the Lord's work. But he says, how can I set this in front of a hundred men? In, in other words, it, it's clearly not going to help. It, it, perhaps a few are going to eat or some are going to eat, but definitely not a hundred hungry men. They're not going to be able to be fed. It's nice but it won't be enough, and there's going to be some disappointed people when they come to this meal, and they figure out there's not enough to go around. But then the text says they served the food, and they ate, and they had some left over. Even in a time of famine, they had some left over. There was more than enough, according to the word of the Lord. What I'm going to point out is What's going on is that God redeems the gift here. And I want you to think about that. Here is something that's given to the Lord, 
God multiplies it. God blesses it. I've got an illustration. This is uh, by a man named Don McCullough. He tells a story about uh, Scottish Presbyterians who were uh, planted churches in Ghana and Africa. And he says this, Scottish Presbyterians established churches in Ghana over 100 years ago. And today their worship services still resemble a formal Scottish Presbyterian service. So my guess is it's pretty formal. Recently, however, they have, they have allowed traditional African expressions into the worship service. Now the people dance as they bring their offerings forward. The music plays and each individual joyfully dances down the aisle to the offering plate. According to the missionary to Ghana who told me this, the offering is the only time in the service when the people smile. You got to think about that for a moment and think, wow. But, you know, here's what they're able to do. At least, you know, in this staid service, very formal service, there's one time when they're allowed to express joy, and that joy is in giving. And they joyfully give. And you think, isn't that great? Isn't that the way it should always be? And so here's one of the things that we need to recognize. Why can we joyfully give to the Lord? Why do we joyfully give to the Lord? Because he redeems those gifts. Because every gift in God's economy is meaningful to the living God, and it makes a difference in the kingdom of God. Why do you think Jesus can speak of the widow who just puts the two mites in the offering, and he sees that as very valuable in the kingdom of God? It's not going to do much for the temple but it's very valuable in God's economy. Similar miracle in the New Testament, Jesus feeds the 5,000. He feeds them. And uh, remember, uh, Andrew comes, and he, he brings the, the loaves of bread, the five loaves and the two fish, and he basically says, but yeah, but what's that among so many? Yeah, we've got a little bit of food. It's enough to feed a lad for his lunch, but... What's that among so many? But the lad gives the gift to Jesus, right? Not a big gift, gives the gift to Jesus. But what does Jesus do with it? He multiplies it. He feeds them all, and there's 12 baskets left over. The point is our everyday gifts are never meaningless in God's economy. God makes the mundane significant. Isn't that amazing? What we can give, what we do in our service and our gifts matter to God. Look over at Matthew chapter 10. I'm just going to read one verse, verse 42. Jesus said, And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not... Notice the phrase, lose their reward. In other words, he's speaking about in God's economy, there's going to be a reward for that simple act, that simple gracious act of giving a cup of cold water. That's it. But Jesus says, even that simple act, that ordinary act, that mundane act, not superhuman, not superhero time, just ordinary, that's not going to lose its value in the kingdom of God. 
I mean, one of the things I think is really helpful is this. Once we think about how God sees the mundane, how he sees the ordinary, even ordinary service, even regular faithful service, what a difference it makes in the kingdom of God. God redeems the ordinary service and the ordinary gifts for his glory. So let me go back to Saving Private Ryan for just a moment. Now, as I mentioned, the illustration is going to break down in several areas. One of them is the, the captain has told Private Ryan, you earn it. But the, the thing that, I, that strikes me is Private Ryan is going to say, every day I remembered, I thought about what you told me on the bridge. So he's speaking as if his captain is there, but it's to that cross. But he kneels before that cross. Now, there's some symbolism there that's helpful for us. Because what do we do when we recognize what it gives meaning in our ordinary lives, our day-to-day lives? Nothing extraordinary, just day-to-day. We kneel before the cross of Christ. And we recognize when we think about the cross of Christ, it's the cross and the crucifixion. Remember, theologically, they're connected. You cannot disconnect the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So those two things are connected. We recognize when we kneel before the cross of Christ, our service, our gifts, our lives are changed. And what we're called to do is allow that to impact our daily lives, our ordinary lives, so that every day we think about the cross of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, because that's what redeems the ordinary. It gives meaning to our everyday task how we serve one another, how we serve in our families, how we pray, and it may be that no one sees your prayer. That's okay, Jesus said. And maybe no one sees your gift. That's okay, Jesus said. Maybe no one sees what you're doing, but God, your heavenly Father, sees it. And so Jesus says, when you do that, remember this, your reward is secure in heaven. How do we know that? Because Jesus Christ is victorious over the cross and has been raised from the dead. It gives this eternal significance to our our generosity, and I find that helpful. And we need to allow that to motivate us. God who gives, God who serves, God who loves, God who has been generous to us, he will not forget those acts of kindness, those gifts of kindness. When I think about the mundane, sometimes I think about the extraordinary as well. And there was a time in my ministry, it was a bit over 20 years ago, there was a day, it was a Tuesday morning, it was September 11th, 2001. And this is what happened. So I'm in my office at church, and someone comes in and they said, there's a plane that has been flown into one of the World Trade Towers in New York. And They said, turn on the TV. This could be terrorism. We don't know. So like a lot of people, I'm watching that morning on television, and then you see another aircraft flying to the second tower, and you recognize this. there's no coincidence going on there. And here I am, and I'm beginning my work week and preparing the sermon for that following Sunday, and you immediately realize whatever I was thinking about preaching on that day is going to change, because this day is going to change everything. It's 9-11. 
even before we called it that. It's 9-11, and everything changes. So here's what I remember that, that day, but also remember that weekend, that Sunday service. So we had two packed services, well over 1,000 people in each service, two packed services. And I saw people I hadn't seen in church for years, and they show up that weekend. And I still remember what I preached on because I spoke on Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. And you preach the gospel on that day. But you know what? The next week, the numbers were way down. And the week after that, and the week after that, and what happened? I mean, what happened? Does it take a terrorist attack for us to need God? Does it take a terrorist attack for us to worship God? Does it take a terrorist attack for us to serve God? Now we got to think about the ordinary, not the extraordinary, just the ordinary day-to-day lives because, praise God, not every day is 9-11. But what do we do in the ordinary, in the mundane? Do we say to God, we don't need you anymore, you don't matter anymore? What I want to point out is this. You forgot about the cross. You forgot about the power of the resurrection. You forgot about Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ changes everything, not just the extraordinary, not just the times of great needs, even the mundane, even the ordinary. We serve. We give, and we recognize we are serving the living God in the ordinary. Every day, I think about what you said to me on the bridge. Every day, we as Christians, we kneel before the cross of Christ and recognize the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that changes everything. If you don't have that hope of the resurrection, I want to remind you that is a free gift. You don't need to earn it. You're not asked to earn it because you can't earn it. You can only receive it by grace through faith. It is a gift of God, not of works. If you haven't received the gift, God offers it to you today, today. Believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. What will he do? He'll change your ordinary, and he'll change your eternity. He'll change your life forever. He's God, and we worship him. Pray with me. Father, we do thank you for this amazing thought that Jesus Christ is victorious, and this changes everything. Lord, I do pray that as we Go through this coming week. And there will be some ordinary days and some mundane days. Praise God for those days. But I pray that you would redeem each and every day. That we would serve you, worship you, honor you in the Monday because you are worthy. And you will not forget those acts of service and generosity because you are our God. We do it joyfully because we love you. 
In Christ's name, amen.